Welcome to Crump Insights, exploring timely life insurance and retirement planning topics for today's forward-thinking financial professionals. Our focus in this two-part series, The Impact of COVID-19 on Underwriting. I'm Brian Bushlack, your host for this series and an active life insurance producer. Joining us, Chris Cook, Senior Vice President and Head of Underwriting at Crump. Chris Reggioni, AVP and Chief Underwriter at Salmon's Financial Group Companies. Joel Larson, VP of Life Underwriting at Prudential. And Mark Crow, AVP and Assistant Chief Underwriter at Pacific Life Insurance Company Broad Markets. Well, gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Uh, Definitely an interesting time as we emerge from uh, COVID here, the vaccine being distributed across the country in varying degrees, depending on uh, which state you live in. And uh, it's not quite back to normal, but we're working toward that. And uh, from an industry perspective, I want to start with you, Chris Cook, and ask you about the mortality impact of COVID. I know this continues to evolve, but where are we right now? Great question, Brian. And, and who would have ever thought that we would be in the midst of a 12-month cycle of a pandemic? And this has really been a learn-as-you-go process for much of the industry, all of the industry, to be honest with you. And you know, we've been very nimble as an industry. To the question of the mortality impact, I think that what I've been seeing is really the impact that has affected the market has been on old blocks of business, business that has been on the books for many years, uh, older ages. So not really an unexpected impact on those types of blocks of business. The good thing that I've been seeing is that there is no current impact on what we would call a, you know, a quick claim or a, within the first two years of a policy being issued. So, you know, we're 12 months into this cycle. There certainly has been anecdotal evidence of maybe some minor claim activity, but nothing that would really impact that new block of business coming in. And I'm I'm curious, based on uh, our participants today on on this podcast, is that really what uh, what you guys are seeing as well from your perspectives in the market? Chris, I'll toss it over to uh, you first. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Chris. And yeah, I would agree, Chris, with everything that you stated. I've been hearing that throughout the industry. It is on more of the older block of business that's in force. And of course, the um, older ages. And we know that doesn't matter what news media outlet, social media you, that, that you listen to, that you watch, that you stream, um, et cetera. We do know that certain comorbidities with the older ages has hit this. With all that being said, Chris, we're hearing more now, right, with this uh, UK variant that it is hitting between the 30 and 50 year olds. Knock on wood, at least I haven't heard too many people just yet passing from this, but they are getting hospitalized. So that's going to be something that we really need to zone in on and keep an eye out for. You know, there's so much to weed through this COVID. (laughs) I think we'd all agree on this call. And I'd love to hear from uh, Joel and or Mark, of course. It's really almost overwhelming everything coming at us from the distribution side, your side, Chris, and then, you know, the direct side to keep everything uh, really in line. And what's fact, what's fiction in a nutshell? Exactly. Joel, how about expanding on that from Chris's perspective? 
Yeah, yeah, certainly. Thanks both Chris's. I think what Chris uh, Reggiani had, had indicated is, is we're reacting to things on a daily basis. And to get back to the original point about claims experience, one of the things that as an industry we did is try to put in some roadblocks in place or some guide rails in place at the beginning of the pandemic to really limit our exposure to some of those higher risk cases. And by and large, for most of the companies I've heard from and my colleagues at other companies, I think we've been relatively successful in doing that. So you spoke to the, the long-term claims business that's been on the books for a long time. And of course, we're experiencing claims in that environment. But I do think we did a good job by putting some of those guardrails in place as an industry to sort of avoid those short duration claims. You know, at least from my perspective, they seem to be working rather well. Of course, where you have a large block of business, you're still going to get short duration claims. There's no question. But I think by and large, we haven't noticed a very large number of them. So I think the guardrails we put in place at the beginning of the pandemic have worked and they continue to work. And Chris Cook, I want to interject this question. From an overall market perspective, sounds like we're seeing an increase in life insurance sales. We're seeing those headlines. What's driving that? You are correct, Brian. The market is open. And, uh, you know, we have seen from whether it be Lemra, you know, any type of uh, market studies out there that the consumers, the end consumer, uh, the insurance buying public is definitely more interested in our life insurance products and our financial services products than ever before. I think that the COVID-19 pandemic has placed a heightened awareness on the uh, insurance buying public and there is a huge interest, and we've seen that uh, uh, that interest translate into sales across the life insurance arena. Hey, Joel, from a producer advisor perspective, I'm curious about, um, you know, in talking with clients, and uh, they had COVID, right? Is that going to impact his or her ability to get life insurance? How do you look at that? I think if I take it from the broader sense, in 2020, COVID was shaping up to be about the third leading cause of death behind heart disease and cancer. The CDC has estimated about from, from the 2000 life expectancy in the U.S. to decrease by as much as two to three years. Well, you have to keep in mind that's for the general population and not for the insured population, which is better. I think insurers in general will need to track people who have recovered from the disease in order to track long-term effects. There's lots of effects from COVID coming to insurers, not necessarily from the disease itself, but more of the ripple effect in those that remain with chronic symptoms. So from an insurer's perspective and from an underwriting perspective, we're really going to need to keep an eye on what those long-term effects are. So that's kind of how we think about it. And uh, I think uh, a lot is unknown at this time and really more to come, but something both from an underwriting and just an actuarially assumptions perspective that we'll continue to track. Hey, Mark, I'm going to bring you into the conversation, maybe a slight pivot from the mortality perspective, but, you know, talking about the timeline when we first had identified the issue with the coronavirus, I think Unfortunately, this is here to stay, right? The novel coronavirus is a, a suite of viruses. It's nothing that we're going to be not dealing with in the future. So we're going to have variants. We're going to have mutations. We're going to have new vaccines. But uh, I, I think it's a new way of life for us, uh, you know, similar to what we deal with annually with the flu. And I was you know, very impressed with uh, the way that 
the phase trials on the vaccines went through in such a, a short time with really fantastic protocols and getting to market uh, in record time, taking a multi-year process and you know, reducing it down to a multi-month process. What are you thinking about, Mark, when it comes to the future and what we're seeing with these mutations that Chris Reggioni had mentioned earlier and what that could mean for us as an industry going down the road from our overall standpoint? No, that's a very good question, right? There's still a lot of unknowns. There's new variants. We're still learning about how effective the different vaccines are. You know, as this continues to play out, I think, as you mentioned, coronavirus, COVID-19 is, is going to be here to stay. I think the vaccinations are going to help. And it'll probably be one of those situations where you need an annual booster, kind of like you get for a flu uh, vaccine. From an industry perspective, I think we're going to continue to watch and see how the new rates of new infections continue to, to either go up or go down, hopefully, you know, go down, the death rate from COVID go down. And I think we'll see some shifts over time in how we underwrite for, for COVID-19, for sure. One of the things that we have had in the back of our minds and have been thinking about, too, is related to mortality, just to jump back on that a little bit. What's the long-term mortality going to be for folks that skip their 50-year-old colonoscopy because they didn't want to go in and be around people? And then they just forget about it, never have it done. Or... You know, by the time they have it done when they're 52, 53, it, you know, it's already an advanced stage colon cancer or other folks that have had follow-up screenings for cancer they had years ago, that they kind of were lost to follow-up due to COVID. So I think there will be some impacts over the next few years that we weren't thinking about when COVID first came out. Most definitely. We're in April now, so it's spring break time, right? And you know, we see all these videos of college students uh, down on the beach or, or wherever they're going, you know, watching uh, television events where uh, there's no social distancing. Everything that I've read on both the virus as well as the vaccine, we, you know, I don't think we as a country or world population can lose sight of the fact that we still need to maintain due diligence hand washing, sanitization, being diligent about social distancing, there is still the potential, even once vaccinated, that you can contract COVID-19. Same as if you got your influenza vaccine, you could still get the flu. So we need to make sure that we, the royal we, are, are still being due diligent. Any thoughts on that, Chris? I'll toss it over to you. Yeah, I appreciate that. I've read articles actually in JAMA and um my apologies, I forgot what doctor wrote this, but is the new norm, and I think we could all probably argue this, is the new norm of, of to your point, Chris, earlier of, of uh, face mask, social distancing, is it during the peak season, is the new norm that we all mask up in, in the fall, you know, when, whenever that spike is? More to be said about that. I know masks are personal choices, Chris, right? I, it's depending on, unless you're going into a major uh, store that, that mandates it, but that could be something. For example, when, when I go into uh, Chicago on the Metro, you know, when I get back into the city of Chicago and go in the office, is that going to be something because anybody that's ever taken uh, the Metro in Chicago, those cars are packed with 80, 90, 100 people plus, right? And everybody's coughing or sneezing and this and the other. It was uh, it was it was tough prior to COVID, right? Not to catch to catch a cold or something on the Metro during those. So you're absolutely correct. And I think the awareness, Chris of this virus in general from just taking from a from our industry i believe 
that more people are are health conscious. I believe they're more aware of their surroundings. And this actually, they're more in tune to their health. Yeah, you're right. There's going to be people that are afraid to go into the doctors or the, or the hospitals for that routine colonoscopy. But once we get over this, this major hump, maybe they'll understand the significance of really having those routine checks because they might know somebody in the past year that unfortunately didn't and now they're no longer. So, Mark, any additional thoughts from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, I do think behaviors are going to change. If you think about things in the past, a lot of folks I've known have gone for their annual physical since. They're being more, more health conscious, as, as Chris mentioned. You know, the thought, I, I grew up in Chicago, too. The thought of getting on the metro right now is, is not appealing to me at all, nor is shaking hands or going to a party and having a kid blow up the birthday candles anymore, right? So I think behaviors that we were used to as a society uh, I think are permanently going to change because of this. And I do think once vaccination rates continue to go up and, and cases go down, I think there will be a, a renewed emphasis on health. And I think that would be you know, positive impact in the long run. Joel, carrying that further a little bit, one of the things we've all been reading and speaking about to each other and, and to others, those with the chronic post-infection symptoms, you know, we, you know, what we call the long haulers. And there's a big unknown in that regard what are you reading uh, from the research, whether it be clinical or, or industry research, as it relates to those that are you know, being called the long haulers, those chronic symptoms? Yeah, Chris, I think we're really in early days here. I think it's going to be something we have to continue to follow and continue to learn about. I mean, there's some evidence now that there certainly are some potential ongoing effects, especially with those that have been hospitalized or or even in intensive care. I mean, obviously, post-intensive care risk is great, no matter COVID or not. So that will be something we'll have to continue to watch. And just the base hospitalizations with some of the sort of ongoing lingering problems with fatigue, headaches, respiratory issues, cardiac issues. I think all of it is sort of, we're really early on. And I don't think we know enough yet to really make any broad sweeping generalizations about what that might look like in a year or two. But from our company's perspective, it's certainly something we're going to keep an eye on. Like Mark mentioned, people not getting cancer checkups and things like that. I think ultimately that will have an impact on what our mortality shows in the next couple of years. But on the other hand, I think there's a lot of unknowns we just don't know about. And I have to imagine, given the spotlight on COVID and the pandemic relationship, that there will be incredible amount of medical research done on all of this. So as an underwriter, my job is to sort of follow that and find out what are the things I need to be concerned about or not, right? As an underwriter, we also get the ability to look at people on an individual basis. So you, you almost don't need to make broad generalizations. You underwrite them based upon their current symptoms, their current physical findings, et cetera. So it's a lot to take in. I just don't think we know enough yet about what that might look like in the next couple of years. But certainly, I think something we'll all be keeping an eye on. Chris, additional thoughts there? I think Joel articulated that well. It's going to be, as we know, with any type of mortality, typically, it does take a little bit to really understand this. And with the long haulers, it will take some time. And then, you know, not to bring back to the vaccinations, but hey, I'm getting mine. I got my first shot. That being said, 
I hope there's no long haul effects either on that, even though I'm for getting a vaccination. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to follow into one of the things I do caution is the medical field underwriting insurance. You know, Joe, you're right by saying there's going to be so much research and there's going to be books and articles. And it is. I mean, we have a lot now. And this is where I think, thank goodness for our chief medical directors out there that can help us go through and really zone in and really get the relevant information from the medical side that really truly connects the mortality side, not necessarily clinical, but the, you know, the, the mortality side of, of this uh, unfortunate virus. Mark, any additional thoughts from your perspective? Yeah, it's an interesting discussion. With any kind of disease, there's long-term effects that are identified years later, right? So for, for COVID, who knows what we're going to find out two, three, four, five years from now. Uh, I was reading an article, I believe it was yesterday, and the figure it gave was one in three people after COVID have some type of anxiety, depression, PTSD type symptoms for a while, you know, which isn't something you would even expect, that type of virus. And for some of these folks, how long are the residuals going to last? The sense of smell, you see that a lot of people lose their sense of smell. Obviously not much mortality associated with that, but some of these other long hauler type symptoms, how long are they going to last? For some people, is it is it going to be permanent or does it take some time for the respiratory issues to resolve? So I think we, as an industry, you know, we definitely have a lot to learn still. Thanks to Crump's Chris Cook, Salmon's Financial Group's Chris Reggioni, Joel Larson from Prudential, and Pacific Life's Mark Crow for joining us. In part two, we'll discuss handling clients who refuse the COVID-19 vaccine and the industry's transformation due to the pandemic. Crump Life Insurance Services, a leading third-party distributor and service provider of insurance and retirement products, is part of Truist Insurance Holdings Incorporated, the seventh largest insurance broker in the world. Crump supports the distribution of life insurance, annuities, long-term care, linked benefits, disability, and health products with the industry's premier sales and back office support and technology services. Marketing under the following brands, Crump, Truist Life Insurance Services, Risk Rider, Telus, and Time. Source, Business Insurance Magazine, using 2019 brokerage revenue generated, 2020 issue. For financial professional use only, not intended for use in solicitation of sales to the public, not intended to recommend the use of any product or strategy for any particular client or class of clients, for use with non-registered products only. Crump operates under the license of Crump Life Insurance Services Incorporated, Arkansas license number 100103477. Products and programs offered through Crump are not approved for use in all states. Copyright 2021, Crump Life Insurance Services, Incorporated.